0: Okay, we're going to be looking at 2 Samuel chapter 7 today. And as I've mentioned, a significant uh, chapter in the history of redemption. So what I'll do is I will read verses 1 through 17 and we'll take a look at, uh, we'll do do some introductory comments and then we'll take a look at the covenant that God made with David. And then uh, in verses 18 to the end of the chapter, uh, we'll read that when we come to that. And we'll take a look at how David reflects on God's covenant. Uh, what was the result of this covenant that God made with David? So, Second uh, Samuel chapter 7, and we'll begin reading in verse 1. When the king had settled into his palace, and the Lord had given him rest on every side from all his enemies, the king said to the prophet Nathan, Look, I am living in a cedar house, while the ark of God sits inside tent curtains." So Nathan told the king, Go and do all that is on your mind, for the Lord is with you. But that night the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go to my servant David and say, This is what the Lord says. Are you to build me a house to dwell in? From the time I brought the Israelites out of Egypt until today, I have not dwelt in a house. Instead, I have been moving around with a tent as my dwelling. In all my journeys with all the Israelites have I ever spoken a word to one of the tribes of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, asking, Why haven't you built me a house of cedar? So now, this is what you are to say to my servant David. This is what the Lord of armies says. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, to be ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have destroyed all your enemies before you. I will make a great name for you, like that of the greatest on the earth. I will designate a place for my people Israel and plant them, so that they may live there and not be disturbed again. Evildoers will not continue to oppress them as they have done, Ever since the day I ordered judges to be over my people, Israel, I will give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you, the Lord himself will make a house for you. When your time comes and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up after you, your descendant, who will come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will discipline him with a rod of men and blows from mortals. But my faithful love will never leave him, as it did when I removed it from Saul, whom I removed from before you." Your house and kingdom will endure before me forever, and your throne will be established forever. Nathan reported all these words and this entire vision to David. We get caught up in our own stories, and we can become overwhelmed with our own stories. We can become overwhelmed with our own difficulties, and we wonder how God is going to help us through those times. And, and we know that one of the difficulties when we get caught up in our own stories and we're, we're going through difficult times is the greatness of God. Uh, continuing to, to, to meditate and to know that God is greater than what we're going through. I think it's one of the greatest battles of our heart. Whenever we go through something like that, the battle of the heart is really a battle of praise. It's a battle of worship. It's a battle of the greatness of God. This passage that we look at this morning is pivotal in the Old Testament. In fact, it's like a um, a culmination of all that has taken place in the Old Testament coming to 2 Samuel chapter 7 and the covenant that God makes with David. So it is not just the story of what David is going through, but now it is the story of Israel. And it is the story of the nations that will come to Christ. So it is our story. And what we begin to see in this story is that as God looks after our story in an even greater way, he looks after the redemptive story, which then helps us understand how God looks after our story. In other words, if we're going to understand how God looks after our story and the difficulties that we go through, it will be connected with the story of salvation which begins in Genesis chapter 3 verse well earlier but Genesis chapter 3:15 where there is a seed that will come and destroy Satan and the work of Satan. So, why is David able to say this is why you're so great Lord God. There is no one like you and there is no one beside you as we have heard as all we have heard confirms. What caused David to be so thankful, and to be so filled with worship. Now, I just want to introduce with a few introductory comments that will help us understand uh, what is going on in this passage. This is kind of the big picture of 2 Samuel chapter 20, or chapter 7, and then we'll take a look at the covenant that God made with David. So, why is David so excited? We know at the beginning of 2 Samuel chapter 7 that David wanted to build uh, the Lord... A house. He had built a palace and he says, Lord, I'd like to build you a house. Nathan says, whatever your heart desires, go for it. But that night, uh, God spoke to the prophet Nathan and basically he says, have I ever asked Israel in all the times that we've wandered, have I ever asked them to build me a house? And uh, basically the answer is no. No. God had never asked them to do that. In fact, he sets the tone with the question that he asks in verse 7. He says this, uh, I'll just begin mid-sentence, whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, asking, why haven't you built me a house of cedar? It's easy to begin to think of Christianity that way, that I do something for God. That's how people often think about God or how people think about religion and that's what makes the gospel story so incredibly different. God never asked the people to build him a house of cedar. In other words, at the beginning of this significant passage, basically God says with that one question, I bring salvation to you. I will save you. He's saying uh, as, as David desires to put the Lord at the center, the simple truth is God does not need our service. We cannot save ourselves. We cannot, you know, we, we want to build God this cedar house with everything that we do, and we say, God, look at all that we're doing. Are you pleased with us? And God basically says, I've wandered with the people all this time. I've never asked you to build a cedar house. Salvation will be from me Salvation will be because of me. I will provide for you salvation. So that's the question. How is God going to provide salvation for us in this story? I just want to make three introductory comments from one sentence. Here's the sentence. The significance of this story is it, is, it tells or, or brings together the grand redemptive story. So, the, so way back in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, Adam and Eve live in the garden They sin, and God begins the redemptive story. How will God save his people? And the way that the salvation story and the person of God unfolds is through covenants. There are five main covenants in the Old Testament, and it's through those five main covenants in the Old Testament that the story of redemption is shared with us. You have the creation story you have the you have the covenant made with noah the creation covenant the covenant made with noah abraham moses and david a covenant uh, there's there's many definitions but we'll use this one a covenant is god committing himself in faithful relationship to his people two parties come together But in the covenants that God makes, God is committing himself in faithful relationship to his people. In other words, a faithful, kind relationship. God's people are to respond in love and obedience. And sadly, in much of the Old Testament, we read that they fail at doing that. They live a lot of their time in disobedience. There are two elements of the covenants. There is a conditional element, and there is an unconditional element. So you would read in the book, of, or in the Moses covenant, that if they, they would be blessed for obedience, and they would be punished for disobedience. There are conditional elements to the covenant. Even in the story of Abraham, in Genesis chapter 17, Abraham was to live in God's presence and be blameless. But there is this unconditional element, and the unconditional element is that God binds himself to his promises to an unfaithful people and a disobedient people, and he continues to be faithful. So even in the Mosaic Covenant, they are called to obedience, but they have the sacrificial system, knowing that they, Israel, as the son of God, will live in disobedience, but there is a sacrifice to come, ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. So, that is what a covenant is. A covenant is God committing himself in a faithful relationship to an unfaithful people. But there is also this culmination that takes place. In other words, there's this unfolding of the covenants. What do we know from the creation covenant? Well, we know that uh, that God created Adam to, to be a king, to subdue the earth and to rule over it. But in his kingship, he disobeyed. And we read in Genesis chapter 3.15, as we've mentioned, a seed will come. But that's all that we know at that, story, uh, of the, at that point is that a seed will come and crush the head of the serpent. But then we come to the story of Noah. Unfaithfulness before the people, or unf- the unfaithfulness of the people. Such deep sin. And there's a righteous man named Noah, uh, builds an ark, and it's almost like creation starts again. And the promise of the rainbow that God will not destroy the entire earth like he did at that moment. But it is also the promise of judgment. But Noah soon falls into sin. So we have the Abrahamic covenant that promises land, that promises a nation, that promises um, a people who will be blessed by God through Abraham. And so we begin to unfold how God is going to do uh, his work through the seed that was promised in Genesis chapter 3.15. It will be through the descendants of Abraham. God will bless the descendants of Abraham. And then the the family of Abraham grows into a nation. You have the Moses covenant. And we have this unfolding of who God is as the law um, is presented to us. And the law is essentially God's character and the people are called to be obedient. And now the people are in a land, and they're to live before this God in the land. And we have the Davidic covenant. And in, this, uh, in the, in the um, Abrahamic covenant, you have uh, God saying to Abraham, kings will, become, will come through you. In uh, Deuteronomy chapter 17, in the Mosaic covenant, you have the promise of a king and how he is to be a king of the people and shepherd the people. And then in David, now you have the king. So what do we have? We have this unfolding of the presence and the person and the work of God through the covenants as we know with greater clarity the work that God is doing. Genesis 3.15, we knew it was a seed. How would that happen? Through the descendants of Abraham. We knew it would be through a king. What would that king look like? Like King David. Even though King David wasn't a perfect son, he was a shadow of the king that would come, King Jesus. So... I know that's a lot, but just to bring it together, that sentence, the grand story of the Bible is told through this culmination, this unfolding of covenants that provides increasing clarity of the work of God in Christ. For David to have this covenant made, the story of Genesis all the way to his time, he will see with greater clarity the work that God is doing, and that's what causes the excitement in David. And sometimes we lose our way because we disconnect our story from the story of salvation. And the beauty of this passage is it brings together David's story. It brings together the gospel narrative found in the Old Testament pointing to Jesus Christ. And David cannot but help get excited because God has done great things. In fact, the first question we'll see that he asks is, who am I, God? Who am I, God, that you have done such great things? And that's often where we lose hope and that's often why we, feel, why we feel helpless is because we lose praise because our story isn't connected to the gospel story but when our story is connected to the gospel story, your story is connected to the, to the covenant God made with David, to the covenant God made with Moses to Abraham, to Noah in Genesis chapter 3, 15. God has done all this work in the past so today you can be a blessed people enjoying the gifts of God, the hope of everlasting life. It's not just that Jesus appeared one day and all of a sudden everything became happy. Well, and then sad and then happy again. The entire history of the world led to this point in David's life which led to the point in the life of Jesus, which leads to the point in your life so that we can walk away today like David, knowing that we are a blessed people. So the grand story of the Bible, that's why this chapter uh, in particular in the life of David is so significant, this combination of covenants that provide increasing clarity of the work of God in Christ. So what is the covenant that God made with David? Well, that's verses four through 17. We're gonna see... There are three covenant promises that were fulfilled in the lifetime of David. That's verses 8 through 11. And then we're going to see there are three covenant promises that will be fulfilled in the future. Three covenant promises fulfilled in the lifetime of David. The first covenant promise is a great name. The second covenant promise is a firm place. A settled place. And the third covenant promise is a place of rest. So let's just go through that quickly and then we'll go, uh, we'll bring it together and then we'll go to the three future promises. Listen to what David says. Remember, the question is why, uh, God never asked, why haven't you built a house of cedar for him? Why haven't you ever. And and the basic answer is God will provide salvation. So how does God provide salvation? Verse 8, so now this is what you are to say to my servant David. This is what the Lord of the army says. And this is your story if you're a believer, right? I took you from your pasture, from tending the flock to be the ruler over my people. Now, David's story is unique, but where did God take you from? Where did he bring you? That's the the beginning of the story. I took you. I brought you. Verse 9, I have been with you wherever you have gone. That's why he's the Lord of the armies. Why did David win his battles? Lord of the armies. The Lord fought for him. Why do we still stand and breathe and praise the name of Christ? Because he's Lord of the armies. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have destroyed all your enemies before you. I will make a great name for you like that of the greatest on the earth. The first thing that would happen is he would have a great name. Now, if we were to go to 2 Samuel chapter 8, we would read um, in 2 Samuel chapter 8, verse 6, the Lord made David victorious wherever he went. Second Samuel chapter 8, verse 14, David made a reputation for himself when he returned when striking down 18,000 Edomites. Why do you have David's victories in Second Samuel chapter 8? Because Samuel is written also in a thematic way, not just in a chronological way. It's not that this happened. In, chapter 7 happens, saying that, that David's name will be great. What do we read in chapter 8? The greatness of David's name. It's amazing so a great name the second thing that we read is a firm place what God does in verses 8 and or verse 10 is he basically says from the time of judges you've always been oppressed you've never settled in the land David during your time you will settle in the land you will have a firm place they would be a settled people They would continue to fight battles, but they would not be oppressed or they they would not be crushed. And then what does being established in the land lead to? Rest. Rest. And you might remember in Genesis chapter 2, on the seventh day, God created or God rested, not because he was tired, but because Adam and Eve would enter into the full blessings of God. And then you would remember that the seventh day in the Mosaic covenant, they were to rest on the seventh day. They could enjoy the blessings of God, reminder of future blessings. And now they rest, and it's not just a good night's sleep, but now they rest because God has given them rest from their enemies. And then you may remember that Jesus is, um, in the New Testament, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Again, as much as you want that to be a good night's sleep, there's something better. He has given you rest to enjoy his blessings. The moment you come to Christ, you rest. You don't need to build a cedar house. God never demanded that of you. God gives rest. And then in his rest, we find peace. Why? Because he took you out. He brought you to. He conquered all your enemies. On the cross, death, darkness, demons, Satan, sin. And he gave you rest. So we begin to see with more clarity the culmination of the covenants, and David begins to see salvation in a greater New Testament way, still a shadow of the reality to come. So what do we have at this point? The greatness and the victory over the enemy, a firm place and a place of finding rest. That's good, right? That's your gospel story. That's my gospel story. What has what is, what is Christ done for us? Given us victory. He's established you. He's not going to let go of you, and he's giving you rest. How much of your time do you think, this is what God demands of me, and I'm not really living up to it? I have not yet built him a cedar house, and he's been so good to me. Here's the point. You cannot out-bless God. God's blessings will always be greater. He will always out-bless you. Even in the darkest moments, he will out-bless you. And God never asked for that. He was okay to wander with his people. He's okay to wander with you. It's not what you have done for God. He has given you victory. He has established you. And he has given you rest. It's beautiful. That's the picture of salvation. And the picture of what Christ will do in an even greater way. David conquered the enemies around him. Who would Christ conquer? Death. Satan. Sin. Suffering what kind of rest would he bring? A greater rest. Okay, so those are, those are the present promises that are fulfilled. What are the future blessings that are fulfilled? Verses 11 through 16, there are three future blessings. So let's take a look at verse 11, the middle of verse 11. The Lord declares to you, the Lord himself will make a house for you. That's the first blessing The word, and then it describes what a house is. So, how does um, how is house explained in the following verses? Basically, God is going to establish a dynasty. There will always be a descendant of David on the throne forever. That means one of two things. That means, and we know this is a struggle in Scripture, that a king would always have a son. And the next generation would always have a son. Next gen- or there would be a king that would live forever. Up till the time of Jesus, Jesus in the line of David, there was a descendant of David upon the throne. And now with the coming of Christ, living, raised from the dead, he sits enthroned forever, bringing his kingdom that's the future for David. That's why we read in verse 16 brings together the three covenant blessings your house, and e- uh, your house, an eternal kingdom before me, and your throne will be established forever. That's an amazing thing to rejoice in. Here's what, da- here's what God is saying to David. It will never be like Saul, where he removed him from the throne. What it will be is the descendant of David will always be on the throne until we come to Christ, or when we come to Christ, we will have one who sits on the throne forever, and his kingdom will be forever. So we meet Jesus in the book of Matthew and Mark and Luke, and what is one of the first things that we read? I've come to bring the kingdom of God. I've come to bring the kingdom of heaven. And as we go through the gospel, we have the kingdom exploded before us. Why are there healings? Because in the ultimate fulfillment of the kingdom of God, there will be no sick. Why are there casting out demons? Because in the ultimate kingdom of God, the the final kingdom of God, in the new heaven and the new earth, there there won't be any demon activity. There won't be any sickness. There won't be any darkness. That's the kingdom. And we experience that in part one day in full. And when Jesus was raised from the dead, he ascended to heaven, and he sits on the throne forever and ever and ever. And that's why Jesus says in Mark chapter 7, I think it is, when he's talking about the end times and times of persecution, he says, why are you so afraid? Why are you so surprised? You don't have to be. That's the world that we're going to live in. But we have a descendant of David who brought the redemption story to us, not so that we'd have to build a cedar house, but he brought the redemption story to us so that we have the assurance that the one in the line of David sits on the throne forever and ever, and we exist in his kingdom now in part one day in fullness. That's the great gospel story summarized in 2 Samuel 7. That's the culmination of Genesis to the life of David. But we have a problem. Because if we go back to verse 14, he says, I will be his father, and he will be my son. You may remember that God calls Israel his son. Now David becomes the representative of the son for the people of Israel. David will represent the people before God. But what is the problem with David and his descendants representing people before God? I will be his father, he will be my son, very relational, Listen to the next words. When he does wrong, I will discipline him with a rod of men and blows from mortals. The problem is, David won't be faithful. He will be sinful. The problem is, Solomon won't be faithful. He will be sinful. So, God needs to provide an obedient son. So, all of this, God isn't saying it's going to be fulfilled now, it looks to the future. One day, there will be this perfect, obedient son. And so Jesus is going to be baptized. He's baptized. This is my son in whom I delight. Jesus is on the Mount of Transfiguration. This is my son in whom I delight. Jesus prays his final prayer, John chapter 17. He delights to do the will of the Father. You have the perfect, obedient son. And here's the thing that's so hard to understand is that Jesus went to the cross. The obedient king of glory went to the cross and he died my death. He died for my sins, my substitute. He, was, he, he suffered condemnation, but he rose again. Those are the future blessings. That is your story. That is all that God has done for you, for you, for me, if you're in Christ. And now you bring that story and you ask yourself what you're going through right now. Will God look after you? Will God abandon you? Has God ever abandoned you? or has god ever abandoned did god ever abandon his people will god stop loving you will god withdraw his salvation this is this is the king who sits enthroned who from genesis to david Through the prophets, 400 years of silence, the coming of Jesus, 2,000 years of church history, he still sits enthroned. We still enjoy his kingdom. And one day in its fullness where there will be no more tears, no more pain, no more suffering, no more death, but only eternal worship in his presence. That's why David responds like he does. So how does David respond? David responds in verses uh, 18 to the end of the chapter. So let's read. We'll just read this in portions, and we'll watch David's response. This is David considering God, and we get that from verse 18. Then King David went in and sat in the Lord's presence and said, Who am I, Lord God, and what is my house that you have brought me this far? What you have done so far was a little thing to you, Lord God, for you have also spoken about your servant's house in the distant future. And this is a revelation for mankind, Lord God. Notice, it, like, it's, it's a revelation for mankind. It's, a revel- it's not just then, it's for the future. It's a revelation for all of us. What, David, what, what God did in David's time was actually a small thing. There was a greater thing to come. King Jesus. So he says this, what more can David say to you? You know your servant, Lord God. Because of your word and according to your will, you have revealed all these great things to your servant. What is the first thing that David does as he reflects, as he worships, as he praises God? After hearing this great gospel story from Genesis to David, he is just filled with worship, he's filled with praise. Remember we started the message by saying it's hard to connect our story with the gospel story and when, those, when our story is not connected with the gospel story, we can lose our way. We can become discouraged. We become hopeless and all of that taking place in our life. Where does praise start for David? It's very interesting. Praise starts with questions. You see, we can be overwhelmed with our story but not overwhelmed with God's story. And when we're overwhelmed with God's story, that puts our story in its proper place. So what's his first question? I am sure it's a question that we've asked. Who am I, Lord God, and what is my house that you have brought me this far? Praise often begins with questions. Who am I? Who's my house that you have brought us this far? And then he goes on to say, What you have done so far was a little thing to you, Lord God, for you have also spoken about the servant's house in a distant future. Lord, this is just a little thing. Wait till we get to the story of Jesus and what he did and what he conquered. This is a little thing. What Jesus did is doing in your life, it's a little thing right now. Who are you? Who am I that Christ would die for my sins? It's, so, it's just humbling. And then he goes on to say, what more can David say to you? You ever get to that place? You just know the blessings of God and, and you just, you're overwhelmed and you say, what more can I say? How do I even begin to explain God's goodness in my life? Because of your word and according to your will, you have revealed all these things to your servant. The unfolding word and the unfolding will of God when we come to Jesus, and Jesus invites us to come to him as sinners, he receives us, he dies for us, he lives for us. He is resurrected for us, he reigns for us, for the glory of his Father, because of your word and according to your will, you have revealed all these great things to your servant. If he's filled with worship, he's also filled with the story of salvation, verses 22 through 24. He says, this is why you are great, Lord God. There is no one like you and there is no God beside you, as as all we have heard confirms. And who is like your people, Israel? God came to one nation on earth in order to redeem a people for himself, to make a name for himself, and to perform for them great and awesome acts, driving out nations and their gods before your people. You redeemed for yourself from Egypt. You established your people, Israel, to be your own people forever, and you, Lord, have become their God. All of this will be fulfilled in Christ, right? All of this will be fulfilled in Christ. And so what we read is the, is the gospel story. David is just looking at the people and he's saying, here's the gospel story. What is the gospel story? God redeemed them. The great redemption story in the Old Testament is um, Israel coming out of Egypt. God performed mighty acts, and then God established them. That's your story if you're a believer. God has redeemed you through mighty acts, and he has established you. So David isn't just rejoicing for what was happening in his house. David was rejoicing for what was happening among the people of God. And then what happens after that? We'll close with these words in verses 25 to the end. Now, Lord God, fulfill the promise forever that you have made to your servant and his house. Do as you have promised so that your name will be exalted forever. When it is said, the Lord of armies is God over Israel. The house of your servant David will be established before you since you, Lord of armies, God of Israel, have revealed this to your servant when you said, I will build a house for you. Therefore, your servant has found the courage to pray this prayer to you. So what has David done? David said, Who am I? David retells the gospel story. And then very interestingly, the last thing that David does is he reiterates the promises of God back to him. David is filled with worship. David is filled with the story of salvation. And then David is filled with a growing faith. He says, God, if I am going to live with courage for you, it will be because I know your promises. So when your faith is lacking, what does David teach us to do? Repeat God's promises back to him. Think of the great gospel narrative that you're part of. If Christ was always faithful to his covenant people, we in the new covenant who have our sins forgiven, will he not also be faithful to us? Under his reign, in his kingdom, faithful through all generations. I love the next verse. And if you're struggling with praise, this is, this is a good verse to have in your pocket. Listen to this. Lord God, you are God, your words are true, and you have promised this good thing to your servant. How does that verse often work for us? I think it goes like this. Lord God, I'm not sure if you're God, I'm not sure if your words are true, and I'm not sure if your promises are good. And that's not to discount the suffering and the darkness and everything that you will go through. But what it is to say is that your struggles fit within the greater gospel story, and you can know three things to be true that the Lord God is God, that his words are true, and he promises good things to his servant. If you know that to be true, and you work your way backwards, Here are the promises of God. Here's the gospel story from God. And here is God doing his work. Who am I that God would do this mighty work? And then you go back to the covenant promises, the future promises that Jesus would come for David, and then the covenant care that God would have upon David's house. God cares for you in a new covenant way. God cares for you under the reign and rule of Christ. And we're left with who are you, God? Here's your gospel story. Who are you, God? Here are your gospel promises. So he says at the very end in verse 29, "Now please bless your servant's house so that you will continue before so that it will continue before you forever. For you, Lord God, have spoken and with your blessing your servant's house will be blessed forever." This is where I want to close. Do you know if you are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ? That you are a blessed people. Do you ever just think like that? There is enough from Satan and the world that will tell us that you're not a blessed people. Verse 29, I think, is very instructive because it's basically David is saying, We're blessed. You are a blessed people. And we can walk around as if God's left us, God's forsaken us. God somehow was faithful for generations past and this generation he's not going to be faithful. You are a blessed people. So how do we live as a blessed people? Do we spend a lot of our time in fear? Or do we pray to God, God give me faith? Do we spend a lot of our time complaining? Or is it more confession? God, I confess the redemption story. God, I confess your promises. God, I confess a covenant relationship where you are with me. Do we live with a sense of anger? Or do we live with a sense of the awesome power and deep compassion of Jesus? His promises are good. You are a blessed people. And that fills us with faith, with confession, and with humility as we bow before the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Lord, there is a battle being waged about the greatness of your name. And if you made David's name great, how much greater the name of Christ? And if David's victories were great, how much greater the victories of Jesus? And if the redemption story of Israel coming out of Egypt was a story that gripped the Old Testament, how much greater the redemption story of Jesus Christ? Yours is the kingdom, yours is the power, and yours is the glory forever and ever because you have an eternal kingdom and you have an eternal throne and you are kind and you are faithful. So, Lord, we want to confess before you that we have not built a cedar house for you, but you have poured out blessings on us. And because of you and all because of grace, We are a blessed people. We are an overwhelmed people because of the blessings that we receive in you. So, Lord, may we live as a blessed people. May we live confessing our faith with certainty because you are great. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.